of uh, Prahlad and Dhruva in, in the Bhagavat are um, dealing with um, basic uh, spiritual uh, foundational kind of points that um, are obviously very important to have in place as much as a foundation stone is for a building and without, of course, without which you're not going to have the building. And uh, this is an important lesson to learn because we hear perhaps about the high ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism if we can grasp it and it's uh, attractive to have, for example, um, intimate relationship with God to, to be, you know, play with God rather than to be at a distance and awe and reverence and so forth. That's a very interesting and um, elevated idea um, that, um, as I say, some people would uh, think it was something you couldn't do with with God. <laughs> but uh, God has a life, so... The, uh, and it is a life of play. As I've said many times, that omniscience is, brings with it a problem, problem of boredom. If you know everything, what can you do? Where can you go? You're really frozen if you know everything. If you think that out, it becomes clear. So this is just a way, of course, of talking about something that transcends words but uh, and thought, but... Um, they said, God is everywhere. So if you're everywhere, how can you move? You're already everywhere. But we can move. But then some people think our movements are a problem because we are moving according to karma, according to a perceived necessity that's illusory. Hmm? Because as an atma, as a soul, we don't need to eat. We don't need to uh, sleep. We don't need so many other extensions of the bodily uh, situation, 
its demands and so forth. We're following after them um, out of a perceived necessity. So some philosophers and some transcendentalists would agree that for reason that that God is full and complete, therefore it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And that works well with the idea that God is everywhere in some sense, mm-hmm. all pervasive. And so if you were to know him, you become still also. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, our perspective coming from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is is uh, goes a, a step further. So it's somewhat conceivable to think of God as being motionless, hmm? uh, being being that God is is everywhere. But this is a very vague kind of uh, conceptualization, if you will. But nonetheless, one that the mind can um, somehow get more readily get a handle on. But if you say that one who is everywhere is moving, then it becomes very confusing in one sense. Hmm? But there's a reasoning to it, of course, and and such apparent contradictions um, are relative only to our limited capacity to reason and think. However well reasoned we are, the reasoning has its jurisdiction, and it, it lies below that of the self even, intellect, mind, senses, sense objects, these are all material. Hmm? They, low, they lie beneath uh, consciousness itself, consciousness proper, so they don't have jurisdiction over it. So um, while the idea that God is everywhere and moving at the same time doesn't fit within our reason, this is the limitations of our reason, which we should be glad to to uh, realize and take advantage of the opportunity to go beyond such limitations. We don't want to restrict the Godhead to what we can reason about. Hmm? <laughs> God is good, but it doesn't mean that he's good in terms of what we think is good necessarily. <laughs> How do we know what we think is good is actually good? So there's a whole different perspective. And so, so, but the, there is a way, nonetheless, to speak about it. Just like those who say that God is everywhere, the, the, the individual soul is, is uh, its individuality is relative only to the mind and senses. You I like hot, I like cold, you like, for you it's good, it's me, it's bad. All this is illusion, do away with that, and there's just one soul. Hmm? And that's that's God, a pulsating, as I say, awareness. Some people think like that, and you can attain a state like that. But um, again, there's a further um, um, thought, if you will, or um, idea, and we we can again speak about it to some extent. Um, give some reasoning as to how what seems apparently contradictory could be so, how God could be everywhere and move at the same time, for example. That being that, yes, it's true, if you're full, why move? Then again, if you're really full, maybe there's another reason to move, not out of a necessity, out of a lack, but out of fullness itself. Hmm? When you're really full, then maybe you just want to celebrate the fullness, 
you don't need anything, you're not in, in shortage of anything, hmm? but you're being driven by the very fullness, by the very unity, to a diversity of, of movement. Hmm? This is what we call lila, as opposed to karma. Somewhere in between is peacefulness, rest. Hmm? Do away with individuality, you do away with suffering. But have you entered into the full idea of joy, of ananda? That's another... That's, uh, well, no, would be the, would be the answer. Hmm? So the movement hmm, of Bhagwan of God, hmm, the dancing, if you will, the play, and to help think this out, it's kind of a charming type of a thinking that helps us to get some kind of a conceptual grasp of that which is very... Uh, esoteric and, and reasonably contradictory, how someone can be everywhere and move. Hmm? Um, and as I say, well, uh, knowing everything, we would think the God is omniscient, so God knows everything, so therefore the implication would be how can he move? I mean, really, if you know everything, well, what are you going to do? Where are you going to... You know exactly what's going to happen. and So... There you are. So there's a there's a, con- a notion of God as omniscient, and it's it's a reality. Hmm? But from the Godhead's perspective, we could we could imagine. We don't really imagine it, but the sacred texts talk about it, and so we think, oh, so there must be something more. And that is the so the talk to talk about it in a way that helps us is would be to say, like I do often, that omniscience is boring. This is its problem. And so, if, you, if you're if you bored, what do you do? Yeah, and you play. So there's a condition, if you will, in which the Absolute removes itself from omniscience for the sake of knowing more. Knowing more means we only know in order to be happy, to be satisfied. We want knowledge perfect knowledge, so we can engage in the actions that will make us perfectly happy. Every action is informed by some knowledge. So everyone wants perfect knowledge to be perfectly happy. Hmm. So we think that uh, there's more joy, more ananda, more bliss in movement than standing still. And uh, and um, and we see it practically in human life that... Uh, that um, a position of Aishvari, of opulence, of let's say someone becomes a very powerful person in in the government or a very um, well-known and popular person amongst the public through sports or uh, music or the um, um, cinema industry or something like that. These people are always putting on what? Hmm? Sunglasses. That means they're hiding from their pop, their their figure, their 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 public face. Which, if from one point of view, we think that's desire. Wow, if I could be like that guy, you know, and everybody, you know, asks my opinion about everything. Although all I know how to do is play a guitar, you know, <laughs> they think I should be a, you know, a. a, a a worthy commentator on politics or philosophy or whatever. I mean, so anyway, just playing that out, how ludicrous is the modern 
society of, of stardom and, and so forth. But at any rate, the general people have the idea that to become so famous would be so great. But the guy that becomes famous, the girl that becomes famous, puts on sunglasses. In other words, they want to, they want to get away from that. There's a, there's a, there's a, they want to be unknown, hmm, off the public stage so that they can be themselves. Hmm. So when we talk about Krishna, we're talking about God being himself. Ah, it's a far out idea, of course. Hmm. God is the secondary thing. God, all-knowing, omniscient, okay. Hmm. And people can't get, and the, and the other, we're the sparks of the fire that is Krishna, of consciousness. Hmm. But in the all-knowing phase or aspect of the Godhead, there's no much room for the sparks to get too close. Hmm. Or if they do get close, there's no movement. Hmm. And there's not much ability to discern myself from the God and have any kind of interaction which would constitute love because love is, requires two and an interaction, reciprocation and so forth. Hmm? So there is a possibility of a spark kind of entering the fire and sitting there and, and so forth. But, but there's a, a more developed idea and I use this analogy to help us appreciate it. You know, The king, everybody likes to uh, hail the king, but the king wants to hide sometimes and just walk in the forest and be amongst the nature and simple things. And This is Krishna. That's why he's depicted like this. Forest dweller, herding the cows. His uh, uh, ornaments are the not a big, big crown, but a peacock feather that he picked up from the ground that's fallen from the tail of the peacock. And his decorations are the natural. Uh, he takes the mineral from the from the earth and mixed with water and puts it on for cosmetics and so forth. Very down to earth and and uh, um, and kind of being himself, so to speak. And this, from one perspective, looks like less. Therefore, how could that be the God? But it's actually the more. Hmm? It's it's when omniscience decides to to play, and then you have to pretend. But God plays so well hmm, that he becomes lost in the play, hmm? and then he becomes accessible to us in a way that in omniscience he would not be accessible. Hmm? So there's a kind of a spiritual unknowing in the Godhead which is of greater knowing in a real sense of the term because it's more pleasing. As I said, knowledge has a purpose to it. Hmm? You want perfect knowledge to be perfectly happy. So because the Godhead is more happy, if you will, hmm? loving in relation to the sparks of the fire that he is, then a situation is, is manifest wherein the Godhead appears finite, hmm? So that the finite ourselves are can get close because if you're sitting next to the infinite, you feel very finite and you <laughs> somewhat intimidated, and so forth. So this is a very extraordinary theological idea. Then the chanting, of course, is about entering in this lila, right? Um, so that's a beautiful idea. It's very attractive. We can speak about it poetically and uh, through analogy and so forth. 
as I am, but it can really kind of um, uh, capture the heart. Hmm? Um, and so it gives impetus to pursue the path. But, of course, to, that's a high place. Hmm? How are you going to get there? You can't go there with your shoes on, so to speak. You can't go there carrying any baggage from here. And it's a one-way ticket. Hmm? And so it sounds good and we're attracted, but then we've got all this baggage that we're carrying with us, desires, attachments, and so on and so forth. And so then if you want to go there, you get the ideal, that's the driving force, then you have to look practically with good guidance as to what I need to do to go there. You need a passport, you need a visa, hmm? you need a ticket, you got to un unplug. We have what we think are valuable things that we're carrying with us. You know, this story of the guy trying to swim the other side of the river carrying the gold bars right in the storm. You need to get to the other side and at a certain point, well, it's either let go of the gold bars or don't get to the other side. You can't take the other side that you left with you. You have to leave that behind. So, you know, you're going to drown with the gold bars is the point. So you have to let go of them. You have to go to the other shore. Hmm? So what we think is valuable is fool's gold. We have to let go of that here. That's a great burden to us. Hmm? Our happiness in this life, which involves carrying around this fool's gold, constitutes moving it from one shoulder huh, to another shoulder. Oh, that feels better. <laughs> and after a while, put it on your head. That feels better. Maybe put it back on this shoulder. It's a burden all the time. Sometimes we get some temporary relief from adjusting the situation. Hmm? But unless we categorically change the situation and move from matter to consciousness, we're always going to be carrying a burden, an artificial burden, that's weighting us down and not allowing us to play, if you will. Hmm? <laughs> you've you're, you're got a ball and chain on. You're, uh, so it's difficult to frolic in the forest in that uh, condition. So, so we have to unlock that. We have to cut the chain. That's why the guru is there for us. The sadhu. Sadhu means the saintly person. Sadhu means to cut. Who cuts to the heart, kind of like a heart surgery. Like, you got to want to go there. I put that in your heart by my speaking, association, that idea, now I, there, for that to grow there, some weeds have to be cut out. Hmm. So like a knife, it's a cut, it's the, so his or her speaking will be very sharp and cutting and taking. And this is the kind of talking we find in the Prahlad Leela hmm, that Mahabharata would like to listen to. There's the high Leelas, hmm, very high, but then the, he'd like to listen, is what you're asking about, to these stories of Perlad who, 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 who are speaking about this on a very kind of basic level. How to become free from selfishness, to come to selfless in a basic sense. No material selfishness. And there you can go up, you can go up from there. That's another thing. But this basic point. Hmm? And there's an elaborate uh, um, narrative in the text of the Bhagavatam about Prahlad. It covers many chapters hmm? in a form of, that Krishna appears in. Hmm? 
he appears to, to Prahlad in, in a form that is very kind of like um, frightening in a way. Hmm? Depicted as this avatar as a half man and a half lion. Hmm? And um, Prahlad was under great uh, duress from his father who, who was demonic and didn't want him to be engaged in bhakti. Hmm? This is a long story, of course, and we'll go into it later in the month, as I said. And um, so much opposition was put up, but he never gave up his his position. And so then, um, at a certain point, his father said, "Well, you know, if your God is is um, so great, where is he?" And Prahlad said, uh, "He's everywhere. There's nowhere that he's not." And so then his father said, "Well." in a kind of a rage, and he was a powerful guy, and he had performed all kinds of austerities, standing on one foot for thousands of years, and got all kinds of powers from this, and and he had long hair with powers in it, and his way to do that kind of thing. I met a guy once, I was speaking to this one fellow, a young guy, some years back, I remember, and, and I was speaking to him about our teaching and so forth, he was attracted. And I said, well, you can come and stay with us, join with us, and he said, but I might have to cut my hair. I say, well, what does that have to do with anything? That's such like a small thing, you know. He said, but all my power is in my hair. I said, you see, you've misunderstood. This is not about getting power. It's about understanding who is actually powerful. Hmm? And becoming a servant. That's why where this means, like, it implies in Indian culture, the servant. Hmm? So... So he didn't want to cut his hair because all his power was there. He was actually powerless <laughs> in however powerful you could be by amassing wealth, strength, even mystical powers through yoga. Hmm? You can get some powers. Hmm? There was a, the famous Bibishana, mystic yogi, the time of Bhakti Binod. Some of the songs we sing are written by Bhakti Binod. He's kind of the, 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 the my great-grandfather in the spiritual succession. So he's your great, some of your great-great-grandfather. And uh, he had the vision to to take this teaching to the West and around the world and so forth, and interfaced it with modern, modern modernity and modern world and so forth. At any rate, at one point in his life, he was a magistrate in the, in the court in, in the town of Jagannath Puri. We were reading in the morning, Chaitanya was going to, trying to get to Jagannath Puri holy city. So he was employed there. And this one guy claimed to be Vishnu, an incarnation of Vishnu, God. And um, and so he um, and he had he was a yogi, he had long hair and long fingernails and stuff. And then he would uh, men would come to him and he would have some power over them and he said, Send your wives to me. I am Krishna. I will dance with them and so forth. Yeah. Now, Krishna's dancing with the gopis, that's a whole other thing. That's, this has nothing to do with material life. But anyway, so he was an imitationist, and these people were ignorant, so they were afraid of him, and he had powers. Hmm? And so they were sending their wives there. And Bhakti Vinod said, this is outrageous. This guy's not Krishna. This is bogus. He's some yogi. He's got some powers. He's frightening some ignorant people who don't know the sacred texts. Hmm? It's why you need a guide. You could just be bewildered by somebody who's got some charisma, some power, uh, something like that. 
uh, hypnotize you and exploit you in the name of spirituality. That goes on. So, so Bhakti Vinod said, we're going to go and arrest this guy because he's imitating God. In India, you can arrest somebody for imitating God. <laughs> False God. So, so he went and he got a couple of you know, men to come with him, and they were, but they were afraid. This guy had powers. And so as they approached his, his, his associates, Bhakti Vinod, they said, well, you know, he's Vishnu. We know, I, I think you're going over the, over the top here. You know? And Bhakti Vinod was a great devotee. So sometimes great devotees, they don't appear per se as like mystics, but they're very mystical and powerful. They may appear like ordinary persons amongst us and so forth, but they have a very profound spiritual power in knowing, of course. So he knew this guy was bogus. He was just on yogic powers, which are subtle types of powers that you are undesirable and are distraction and so forth. So, so anyway, as he got close to Bibishan, he came out and he said, I'm Vishnu, don't cross this line. Hmm? Like that. And uh, Bhakti Vinod stepped across the line and he went like this and fire came out. Hmm? Fire, whoosh, like that. And these Bengali or Orison, you know, associates of Bhakti Vinod were like, oh, you see, we told you, he's Vishnu. But Bhakti Vinod pushed on anyway, hmm? apprehended the man and had him arrested. Hmm? And they brought him to trial. Hmm? <laughs> Interesting story. And so the trial went on for like seven days. Hmm? And after the second day, Bhakti Vinod's family started to get a fever. His wife got a fever. His son got a fever. His other son got a fever. His other son. People were saying, just see Vishnu. He's offending Vishnu. And now his family is being ruined. The last day of the proceedings, Bhakti Vinod got the fever also. Hmm? And he came to court and he convicted the man and put him in jail. Hmm? And when they put him in jail, first thing they did was cut off all of his hair. Then he collapsed hmm, on the floor. Later that man hung himself in jail. So this is your God. You know, he had some power. <laughs> he intimidated some people, but real spiritual people like Bhakti, we know they could see through that, they could understand. And he had the power to arrest him and put him in his place and so on and so forth. Hmm? Hmm. So a guy told me that all my powers, he, was, he didn't even have any real power in his hair. But, but uh, my, again, my point was our... Um, Pursuit is not to get power, hmm? but to serve the one who's actually powerful. Hmm? Become the friend of the one who's actually powerful. That's better. <laughs> How powerful can we become mentally or physically? Hmm? What can we do? Hmm? People are fond nowadays of trying to conquer nature, change the weather by seeding the clouds and so on and so forth. You know. You, you can fool yourself for a while that you can be able to conquer nature, but nature is so vast that it's unfathomable just how vast it is. But to speak of conquering an aspect of it, if you could change the the weather here, you know, for a while, there's nothing to stop stop a meteor from just running into you and you're over. You know, you're finished in a moment, right? Or the earth erupts in a in a volcano, and you know, it's happened. And it'll happen again. The sun will burn out, for that matter. What are you going to do? Hmm? 
This is our teaching. The sun is burning out. The sun is burning. Who will listen to you? But that's a fact. We should make a permanent solution hmm, to a problem that, that uh, it's not going to be solved by moving the burden, like I said, from one shoulder to another. Oh, that feels good. Uh, that feels better. Uh, you, you just can't move, keep moving it around. You have to let go of it. It is the problem. Hmm? So, no, I told that fellow anyway. That's not how you... you. It's about serving the one who has uh, has all power. So, his father... Prahlad's father was very powerful. He had performed mystic yoga and he got powers and he had a lot of people intimidated. But Prahlad was like Bhaktivinoda, but he was only a child. He was only like six, five, six, seven years old. Hmm? Prahlad, very extraordinary uh, devotee. And so anyway, the father said uh, he was, he couldn't break his devotion. He tried all types of ways to, he, he threw him in a pit with snakes and the snakes bowed down to him. And <laughs> it is a whole, you know, one thing after another like this. So he, then he said, well, so you, if your God is, where's your God? And he, he said, he's everywhere. And he said, well, he's everywhere. Then is he in this stone pillar? And took out this big sword and broke the pillar. Hmm? And out came this form of God, who's everywhere. He can make appearance anywhere. Hmm? And there was, of course, of course, a reason that he appeared as a half-man and half-lion, because this father of Prahlad, hmm, you don't mind me telling a little bit of the story, huh? A ahead of time, but uh, <coughs> his father had had performed these uh, austerities for a long time. If you perform austerities, you can get some, some powers. And so he had a negotiation with, with Brahma, one of the, you know, like minor, minor gods, if you will, or major gods, not 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 the Godhead, but and so he 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 wanted to be, he bargained with him. The story is that I he wanted to be eternal, hmm? and Brahma said, "No one can be eternal, not even me." And so I can't give you that kind of a benediction. I mean, in the, in this material body, hmm? and so he said, "All right, then I ask that I will not die on the land, and the air, or in the water." I won't die at the hands of any man or any beast. I won't die by any weapon. And he made all these, you know. And Brahma said, I can give you that, I can give you that benediction, I can give you that benediction. So he thought he had beat the system by this. So Nishringadev appeared, and his appearance, if studied carefully, hmm, properly understood, is the, is the, is the, um, well, how do you call it? Is it, 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 it constitutes, in one sense, the the the, the 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 gap, the holes in his arguments, in Hiranyakasipu's thinking, that because he appeared as not as a man or a beast, but a half man and a half beast. Hmm? You know, and he said he didn't, wouldn't die at day or night. He appeared at dusk, in between the two, and so. He manifests in such a way as to sh as to show you you know you can't beat this you can't outthink God or something like that. It's, it's a loophole. There's no loopholes. Yeah. So he thought that they, Krishna appeared as the personification of the loopholes of the argument that uh, that Prahlad's father thought had saved him from dying hmm? and being immortal in you know in the material um, condition. And so um, he defeated him, and then, and, and, and then, 
he appeared, this like ferocious form of God, if you will, uh, before the boy Prahlad and all the, the gods and goddesses that are in charge of like different powers of the world, the natural, you know, we, we, we think the, the sun, the wind, there's consciousness behind all these things. So in Hinduism they, they're personified and then you, 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 you do the Surya Namaskar, you know, to, to the sun and yoga and to the wind and this and that. And you, the idea is to try to be in harmony with nature and so forth, rather than just conquering nature, like modern man wants to conquer nature, manipulate and change the nature of nature, and be the god on earth. It's folly. It's like this Prahlad's father is what modern man is like. It's just, <laughs> it's a folly. Hmm? So the story is an old story, but you see it just plays out forever because uh, it speaks spiritually to the material condition. Hmm? So at, at any rate, when, when. Uh, the avatar Narasimha, his name appeared. Hmm? All the gods and goddesses were trembling because they all have some material desire in their heart. Hmm? They are not liberated either. They have some power. So that anybody who had any desire was like. But Prahlad had no desire. So the ferocious form of Nisringa appeared to him like a kitten. Hmm? He was a half man, half lion, so like a lion cub, you know. And he and he was not afraid at all. Everybody was afraid. Oh, this you know, ferocious form of has appeared. We've never seen anything like this. And Perlot was just fully peaceful. And so the Sringadev turned to him and said, "I've come for you. What do you want? Ask a benediction. I'm God. Ask a benediction." So Perlot said, "I don't want anything." Hmm means I have no desire, no material desire. No, ask something. So Vishnu kept prodding, ask, you have, I'm God, I give benediction. That's why people call me. They want things from me. Surely you want something. Ask for something. I can give you anything. He kept saying, I don't want anything. I, don't, I just want to serve you. He's using him as an example for all the gods and the goddesses. And that who, those who only want to serve me, only want to love me, I become like, like a kitten to them or something like rather than a ferocious lion. Now they can live comfortably with me, something like that. So this is the story, among other things, about a very basic spiritual point, that if you want to have intimacy with God, which is an interesting idea, hmm, you have to take all the meanness out of you. Hmm? The meanness is material desire, because material desire involves taking. Hmm? Taking is the opposite of giving. Hmm? If so, if giving is loving, then taking is the antithesis of that, right? Hmm? So there's a mean spirit, if you will, to material existence. And Darwin, you know, he didn't have the whole picture, but hmm? as I've said often, Jibo Jibo Sajibanam is a statement in, this, in the Bhagavad text. It's very Darwinian. One living being is food for another, the struggle for existence. What did Darwin call it? The... Uh, Struggle for existence, was it? Survival of the fittest. And something like that. We would think the survival of the humblest or something like that. You be humble, you will survive. You 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 go in the reverse way. Hmm? You're going against the system. You cannot but go the other way. And you will survive. Hmm?
then it will transcend and so forth. So these are basic but very, very important and foundational lessons in the in the Prahlad Nishingalila brings this out. And it's long, it goes through many, many points like this are brought up through the whole over chapter after chapter after so many nice points. Then Prahlad offers these beautiful prayers to Nishinga that's full of insights about devotion and bhakti and the nature of it and so on and so forth. So the this form of Vishnu used the boy Prahlad to speak to the whole world, so to speak, you know, about this uh, what bhakti is at its foundation. If you want to play with me, you gotta get these things in place. That's a realm where there's no taking involved. Hmm? That's why it's the movement <coughs> is free. There's nothing to there's no by moving and taking, you owe. So you're bound. We want to move in such a way that there's no repercussions. Hmm? That's like play, you just play hmm? But in order to play in this world people need some money to have a vacation. And then they can appear, it can appear like there's no repercussions. We're out playing, and we've got some money in the bank, so everything's okay. Tickets are paid for. You know, now that time runs out, we got to come back again. That's why I've said often that Krishna is a depiction of the Godhead, in which the Godhead is only playing, which means all powerful. Yes, he can just play. If you're all power, if you have, it takes power to play. Like I say, it takes money in the bank to take a vacation. You have to get some power, you have to get some permission to get time off, it takes some power, some tenure or something like that. Right? So he's depicted this way, all only playing means all the gods and goddesses, they have something to accomplish. Krishna, nothing to accomplish. Only playing. If we want to enter there, though we have to become free from the taking tendency. So these stories like this of Prahlad, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu liked to hear them over and over again because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is Krishna. He's the appearance of Krishna in the form of a devotee of himself to teach how to enter into the playful leelas of Krishna by his example. So he's Krishna. Krishna played the flute. He he's he's free and, and so forth. He has nothing to accomplish. He appeared in the form of a sannyasi who fasts and 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 walks barefooted everywhere and, uh, like a saint, hmm? and and taught us himself the way. We call it the acharya lila. Krishna is playing like an acharya, like a saint, to show us the way hmm? to enter into that play. Hmm? And so, in his example to us, he would hear the text of the Bhagavatam regularly, and these leelas, these types of leelas, were particularly of interest to him because they are particularly important to us. So he was showing higher leelas are there about the nature of that play, and so. But in order to understand that, enter into that, you got to get some basic foundational stones in place, and that takes time. And if effort is spent. In the context of bhakti, of getting those stones really in place, everything else will come easily. Hmm? And if you get distracted from hearing about higher ideas, from doing the work that's necessary to put the foundational stones in place, you'll only go there in your imagination. Not really. You cannot go there without getting these foundational stones in place. So he would hear those pastimes over and over again and relish them. And by that he teaches, uh, through his example, 
how important they are for us. Like I said, Balabhatirtha Maharaj once said that um, those who say they've heard the Prahlad Leela, you know, already, they never heard it. They haven't listened. Because if you actually hear, you actually put those stones in place. And if you actually put those stones in place, you know what that means. And then you can talk about that and, and, and be enthused about that because it's actually a spiritual foundational uh, stone. And spiritual life from the bottom to the top, from the foundation to the, uh, to the uh, penthouse suite, is sweet and relishable. Hmm? Everything about it. Hmm? It's all high, nothing low. Hmm? And material life is all low, however high it seems to be, something like that. So by he set this kind of example. Hmm? When he leaves his associates in Navadweep and becomes a sannyasi, like like wear this dress and so forth, and travel and speak and so forth and lead other devotees, then he's in that Leela he's teaching how to enter into the play through the chanting, play of God through the chanting. And so this is brought out by Vrindabandas when he's describing the Leelas of Chaitanya. He regularly heard the Leelas of Prahlad. It's a way of saying you should regularly hear the Leelas of Prahlad. Now later at the end, this is the Madhya Leela, middle Leela, Leela. the end Leela, when he, when he, then he's depicted as hearing other things in a very closed circle with Sarup Damodar and Ramananda Roy, hearing the songs of Chandidas and Jayadev and and, uh, and so forth, and um, certain other verses from Bhagavat. And, but he's got all these, found, he's just teaching, but by his example, all these foundation stones are in place is the implication. Then those things become more than poetry and, 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 and deeply uh, meaningful and relevant to one's practice. So I think that this is the answer to your question, that the emphasis is given. And he heard them from, from Gnadhar Pandit. He would be the, the speaker of the Bhagavatam, who was very high in, in his uh, amongst his associates. But... But this is the lesson. Don't pass by these leelas and think that you're going to forget the hard work and just jump in there or something like that. Like I say, to go there with your shoes on. No. You have to begin. And, and, and it's blissful to, the beginning is, 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 is blissful to act and take the steps appropriately to your status in, in, the, in the ladder of spiritual progress and um, focus on where you're at in terms of going to the next step, that's where you're going to get the most reciprocation. That's where you're going to get the most, you're going to feel the most spiritual. The more you apply yourself to exactly where you're at, and that's why we need good guidance to us, you should do this now, apply yourself like this. It's a, the more you do that, the happier you'll become. You think, I don't want to do that, I want to do the higher thing up here. And then you don't have eligibility for it, then you just trip and fall. Hmm? So, for this reason, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu emphasized, or, or say, Vrindabandas emphasized in Chaitanya Bhagavat that Mahaprabhu would readily hear these kinds of leelas from Gadadhar Pandit and Jagannath Puri. Hmm? 
Another pundit is the Bhagavad speaker for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in, in, in Nitya Leela also. Every morning, speaking Bhagavatam. Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. That's another basic teaching. You regularly hear these kind of narratives and so forth. It's easy to hear. They're pleasing, put in a pleasing form and deeply uh, meaningful. Like I said, you can dream about them and so forth and the lessons in them and apply them in your life. It's much easier than, as I said last night, staring at a blank wall to stop the mind and even if you could, you'd be still rather than moving in, in, in play and dance and context of the Leela. Does that help? Yeah. Vishwanath mentions uh, in relationship with both Narada and, uh, and Prahlad that they can be seen as both Sadhana-siddha and Nitya-siddha. Mm-hmm. Siddha means who's eternally liberate, who's never been in this condition of material existence. And a Sadhana-siddha means who becomes perfect by, by the spiritual practice. Hmm? having taken it up, and so forth. And uh, Vishnu Chakrati Thakur describes Prahlad and Nard as both, so it's confusing. But um, one way to think about that is that they are Nitya Siddhas, but they are playing the role of Sadhana Siddhas and show the way of Sadhana Siddha, how to become perfect by practice. Hmm? Nard does this in particular. That's one way to think about it. And Prahlad does it also. Hmm? And um, there may be other ways to think about it, but that works. <laughs> um, and Narada tells his whole story in the Bhagavatam from his previous life to the present life to for two previous lives. And so he's a, uh, he's a paradigmatic figure in the Bhagavatam that can be looked at in a number of different ways, but the, there's a strong emphasis on his... Um, life story as a practitioner is very, very helpful. So, he depicts a sadhana siddha. Very useful. What else? Is, is Narga like, he's the only one I, I kind of know that just can appear any time and place as far as it, I I, I mean, you figure. In the Bhagavatam, he, he, he appears in all kinds of places and teaches, and suddenly Nard comes and gives a lesson. This is your question, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Nard is, you see, Nard uh, is, is, uh, is a person, he, he's a depiction also of a perfect devotee who acts like a devotee, as I'm saying, hmm? like a sage. Hmm? Whereas, you know, um, Radharani, Krishna's consort, isn't appearing like a sage, or Krishna's friends who he's herding cows with and so forth. They're <coughs> herding cows and eating yogurt and rice and having you know fun in the forest and so forth. Nard is like your classical, how you would think of a saint. He comes, he gives teachings and so forth. So he's a siddha, but in that type of a they have that type of a form, hmm? as an he, he is an eternal sadhu, so to speak, saint. So he's always appearing in different leelas and speaking and giving teachings because that's what that's his role is, so to speak. Hmm? 
Hmm? So he will appear in the Vrindavan Leela and give some teaching and so forth. And hmm? He came when he heard that Radha was born in Vrindavan. He came to Vrindavan. He went to Vishabhanu Maharaj's house. Do you have a daughter that was born here? Well, we have a girl over here. <laughs> Let me see her. And he falls down on pages, obeisance, and so forth. And the parents say, why are you paying the obeisance to our daughter? Said, well, yeah. So this is Narada. He's very... Um, and he has some Ifarya, some, some, some kind of majesty and knowing, uh, like uh, saints, saints do. Hmm? Was that like a boon, or was it just something he earned, or just... That's just his place in the Leela. Hmm? Krishna has people in all types of roles in the play, the drama, of the life of God. There's all kinds of roles. Now certain opportunities to enter in role, and the role in the Leela have come to us through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like to herd cows with Krishna, be in the forest, that kind of thing. Hmm? For example, not a, not a role like Narada, but you could play that role as a sadhaka, hmm? as a sadhana siddha. So that's his, yeah, that's his, his role. There are others too, hmm? Parvat, Narada, some others. Angira, Vishvamrita. Hmm. Yes. But it seems that I'm. In all the Leela, it doesn't seem that anybody stirs up more trouble than <laughs> The farcical Narada, they said in the, in the drama. trying to push, push people to the limit of, of, that creates a, a deepening of, uh, of Krishna's involvement. Yeah, he kind of has like a Yoga Maya-esque role in the Krishna Leela, causing it to unfold by the way he... He intervened, so a very special person. What else? Was it time? It's about eight. Much to do, right? You do all the clearing, we have to think, I'm clearing out my heart of so many things. Hmm. I'll do Krishna's service. I could be doing anything. Hmm. I'll do this. That will have good effect, work of that Prahlad's talking about. Sri Sri Gaurada Madhava Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrindha Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande.